Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. What is Zen Parenting Radio, by the way? It's a podcast where we'll help you feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is what, sweetie? A parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have a Friday feature of a conversation with people we love. And it's my good friend, one of my best friends, uh, named Charlie Donnelly. Charlie, welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. Thank you for having me. you got to get close to the mic, otherwise we're not going to be able to hear you. Thank you for having um, me. We had you back uh, a few years ago, podcast number 283, and the title of the podcast that we had was called From Dream to Reality, fiction writer Charlie Donnelly. Um, originally, when we had you on, you're one of very few reoccurring guests on the show. So yes. that's an honor. I need you to feel special. Oh, I do. I okay, feel good. Special. I think Charlie's only the third person we've had on more than once. Uh, Fourth. Uh, something in that neighborhood. Duffy, Annie, Shafali, Charlie. That wow. could be. Good company. I know. Uh, and two of those people are doctors. Are you a doctor too, aren't you? Yes. Paging Dr. Donnelly. <laughs> See Dr. a Donnelly. trend for CPR. Right. I do too. Um, so the first podcast we did, so I grew up with Charlie and if you want to know our history, go back and listen to the podcast number 283. And we talked about how Charlie arrived at this because Charlie's an eye doctor and he's been an eye doctor since he graduated from eye doctor school back in whatever. Eye doctor school. 1996. <laughs> Is that what they call it? Charlie? 99. 99. Wow. It took you five years to graduate. That's so old. Yeah, I guess so. Cause we graduated, uh, we, Charlie and I went to grade school, high school and college together. And then he went on and became an eye doctor. And it was the idea of um, if I was going to compress the podcast that we did into, you know, it was an hour interview into like 30 seconds, um, you kind of always had this secret passion for writing. You decided to start writing shortly after in 2002, something like that. Right. And how many years did it take from when you started typing on your computer as a writer to actually being a published author? Uh, so that would be 2001 to the book came out 2016. So 15 years of failing until you finally succeeded. Or practicing. Because yeah. it's not like you were putting yourself out there the whole time. You were doing a lot of work on your own, correct? Honing my craft. Honing your... So I, so I know we talked about this on the last podcast, Todd, but I have to ask again because I'm forgetting. What, you know, he just said you always had a secret dream to write, but when did you have that secret dream? Yeah, not that's actually not totally true. I mean, I I never wanted to write as a kid. I never read as a kid. It was like in college I read uh, John Grisham's, one of John Grisham's books, The Firm, and yep. then it made me want to think about writing a book someday. But that still took me whatever, when did we graduate college? 94. So it still took me about eight years before I started writing, which I which was about 2000 I started writing. So why? So it's so funny that you say The Firm because I loved The Firm too. I love John Grisham's books, but um, that do you watch that movie, the Tom Cruise movie? Of course. Okay, so I've seen it a million times too. Whenever it comes on, but what? So that's really got nothing to do with it. But why that book? Like, what was it because you couldn't put it down? Well, it was the first book I ever read for pleasure. For fun. Yeah, okay. For fun. I had never experienced reading a novel before. Okay. Uh, and because of the suspense, and it was so good and unpredictable. We, we, unpredictable. We were just having this discussion about Todd and uh, me being slow readers. Yes. Yes. Um, 
And Kathy's like a speed reader. <laughs> but that book in college, I read, I think I read it in like four or five days, which is a remarkable feat for me. I don't read that fast. Yes. So I could not stop reading it. And so that was got me interested. I think I'm going to write a book. Even though I had no experience, no creative writing experience, had never read a book before somehow. And that's where I get like deep about like what we're, we've come here to do. And again, it gets kind of spiritual, but there was obviously something in you that knew because it wasn't like, okay, well I have my journalism degree now and I have all these people around me who are authors. You just read a book and you go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do this. Like, that's really interesting. Um, in order to be a good writer, you need to be creative. And I remember my first inspiration that Charlie was creative. Uh, we played Dungeons and Dragons together. Yeah, you and guys, my, senior year. My buddy Jim used to be the dungeon master. <laughs> what are you saying? Kathy? And, and we transferred uh, dungeon master responsibilities from Herbic over to you. And you had this cool thing where we all fought a mirror image of ourselves. You found it in some dungeon master book. You probably don't even remember this, but I'm like, no wow, wow. Herbic never did anything cool like this. <laughs> This is pretty awesome. So Donley trumps Herbic yes. again. And even though Herbic was Dungeon Master for like five years and you were Dungeon Master for like six months. What does whatever. that mean to be Dungeon Master? Some of us don't know. No, I'm going to tell you quickly. Okay. Dungeon Master means you're the guy <laughs> that okay. has to sit in the corner and read the manual, which is like... <laughs> 20 pages long to understand the adventure okay. while Todd, Marty, and I like watch movies and hang out. And then we yell at you, hurry up and finish the manual so we can get I think 20. it's called a module. Module. Right. But um, yeah. So did you watch Stranger Things? No. Oh, did you know that those four guys play Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, I heard, I've heard the story. I haven't gotten into the show yet. Yeah, you would probably like, I do like science fiction. No. No. Okay. Well, then you might not like I, it. I, that's the other thing is I heard it. There's some supernatural stuff. Oh, for real. And, and, yeah. Oh, and that's no. not your gig? Oh, wow. Interesting. No. I didn't know. He's true crime. So we're going to jump all over the place. But first, I want to say the reason we're having Charlie on, um, um, your book comes out May... 29th. Which is this Tuesday. I think we're going to post this on Friday. You want to do it before it comes out or you want to do it right after it comes out? Up to you guys. What really? Do we'll do it uh, this Friday. Okay. So you can pre-order the book on Amazon, yes. I assume. Pre-order um, it on Amazon. Right now. Um, and the name of the book is called Don't Believe It. Uh, Charlie has two other books. Um, the first one was called Summit Lake, and the second one was The Girl Who Was Taken. Um, Can I just say, I ahead. just want to, because I know we're going to jump in, but so Charlie is like an international best-selling author. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it's fun to go to your website because it's like Charlie Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like you're all of a sudden you're like this. You are. I mean, like... Well, you, you, you know, the, the weirdest thing is I'm going on a... Brazilian book tour in, oh in August, which... Are somehow, you going on vacation and building work into it, or are you truly going to work? Bra well, this is just them. straight Brazilian. This is straight book tour. Oh I mean, my I'm God. dragging, somehow I'm dragging my wife with me. She's agreed to go to a country we don't know the language. and uh, How many different languages have, have your book or books been translated into? Do you have any idea? Um, about 12. I don't know all of them, but mm -hmm. about 12. Yeah, so the tour in Brazil, it's like just came up and Amy agreed to go with us and it's uh, we're going to stop in a few different spots. So yeah, it's all... How's your Portuguese? That's what they speak there. <laughs> that is what they speak. Yeah. Are you so, working on it? Um, not at all. But oh, we well. will have a translator with oh, us. that's so. probably a good idea. So just, I mean, that's the thing is like, isn't it interesting that there are people like across, you know, the world from us who are reading your book and are like excited to see you. Isn't that like kind of weird? I find that very weird. It, bizarre. bizarre. I mean, I'm just some, yeah, 
still beside myself to imagine yeah. that, but I'm very honored. But yeah, it's it'll be weird to have uh, these events that we're going to go to and meet all these people in a different country or waiting to... Well, to have you sign their book and they're like, oh, there he is. Well, and what's interesting is when I was talking to Kathy, obviously, uh, I think Charlie's books are pretty amazing. Otherwise, if they sucked, I wouldn't have him on. But then I'm saying to Kathy, like, we should probably spin it somehow to, like, make this um, digestible for our audience who's used to listening, used to hearing us spew out these words of wisdom regarding parenting. But it's kind of cool to have an international bestseller on our podcast, right? Well, and I told Charlie before we started that, and you guys know, if you listen to the show, I really only read nonfiction books. So I said, Charlie, you're really the only fiction writer that I that I read. Me too, and, actually. And I love, an, um, you know, first of all, his first book, Summit Lake, it's fun to watch people from college who find your book in the airport and then take a picture of it and post it. Have you noticed that? Oh, uh, yeah. I They'll be like, it. ooh, here's Charlie Donnelly's book. Um, and then, but this one, the Don't Believe It, that's coming out this week, it's totally my kind of fiction book because it's true crime. And again, Summit Lake was too, but this one... Um, brings in um, real things like cereal. And okay, so before we get into that, here's the two things that your book reminded me of. Can we go this way right now, Todd? Okay, I didn't know if you had a plan. So the two things that you didn't mention in the book that I was like, this is what it reminds me of is um, Amanda Knox. Did you do research on her? Yeah, watch that documentary. Okay, so so did I. Who's Amanda Knox? Um, Go ahead. Uh, she's a American. Oh, who the was, lady from Italy. Yeah, she yes. got accused of killing her roommate in Italy. Okay. And a huge. Uh, she was found guilty, then innocent, and um, she's finally free. But it was. Um, Is she free? Free? Because I yeah. heard Italy's yeah, no. going to try to get her back again. Is that true or no? Now it's over. They're at least as much as yeah, I know. They it's had over. they had like the final judge's uh, decision that it's over. But it's. Uh, Similar, so really quickly, by the way, don't believe it is a is has a similar take to Amanda Knox, which is yeah. an American woman is in a foreign country. In this case, she's in uh, the Caribbean island of Saint Lucia. She gets accused of killing um, her boyfriend, and um, then the story unfolds as the main character is gonna named Sydney. She's gonna do a documentary, uh, like a like a Netflix documentary about this case 10 years later. And the story and the book is about all the twists and kind of the things, the new evidence she finds that uh, perhaps suggests she's not guilty. But yeah, so Amanda Knox, she gets accused of killing her roommate in Italy, um, is found guilty, but then is later, you know, she's exonerated because of uh, evidence that's found. And so she's home. So that's one. What was the other? Natalie Holloway. Who's that? Only because of the, the Aruba, she was Aruba, murdered, Jamaica. Murdered. Ooh, I don't know. And who I that thought is. about Natalie Holloway because I actually went to Aruba a couple of years ago with my girlfriends, and we were, you know, like right when we got there, we were sitting at a bar talking to the bartender, and obviously it came up, you know. And he's like, "This comes up all the time," and this did affect our tourism. It had to have. Yeah. Yes, it had to have. So they're kind of all very. I don't want to say pissed about it. I don't think that'd be fair, but it did challenge their tourism. Who, who's mad? The, the, the people the who Ru- live Arubans? in Aruba. Yeah. yeah, the people who like are part of the tourists. Because they're impacted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Natalie Holloway disappears in Aruba, mm-hmm. and there's never an answer to what happened to her. Mm-hmm. No one's ever seen her. I mean, the guy that uh, was accused of killing her is like a is like a psychopath. He and keeps he's in telling, prison yeah, now. Keep, for for some other murder. correct. He keeps like telling the parents that he's finally going to tell them what he did with her body, and then 
he'll say, oh, no, I'm just lying. I never killed her. And so he's he's like a sociopath. But um, yeah, so but that's a totally unsolved crime. She's totally. her body's never been found. Good point. Different than yeah. so and so going back to the Amanda Knox, it was the Grizzly Grace thing because they called her Foxy Knox. Right, right. Um, you know, it's just how we and again, this is a lot about what you write about in this book, how we become so overly involved in these people's lives and we forget what really happened. We forget someone died or someone That's the was problem. Exactly. We it becomes like entertainment. Pop culture. Pop culture. I actually just did this article for um Lit Hub. They have a they have um, like a magazine called Crime Reads about the true crime craze. And uh, I, I made that exact point in that we turn these true crimes, and I'm as guilty as anybody because I'm I addictively mm-hmm. watch them and listen to these podcasts. But we turn these true, these true crime incidents into pop culture. Mm. But then, sadly, we kind of forget about the victim. You know, like... I'll just I'll just ask you, you you're a fan of cereal, mm-hmm. so who was the guy accused of Adnan? Adnan. Who was who did he kill? No he idea. Killed Mo, um, Mo, um, isn't that interesting? So that's a good point, right? It I is. mean, it's like Adnan Sayed is the accused. Yeah. The victim was hey hey Min, hey Lin hey hey Lin me uh, hey see yes. I'm terrible. We can't even think of the victim's name. Mm. Yes. Heyman Lee, I think. Heyman Lee. Heyman Lee. Mm-hmm. So basically, we glorify the idea of who done it, and we forget about the victim. The victim. Yeah. Well, and if I remember correctly, in Serial, her parents didn't want to be a part of it. Right. Right. Which is just like this book. Exactly. Right. So the 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 victim, uh, when Sydney, the the filmmaker, is trying to find out information about Julian Crisp, the guy who was killed. Uh, the the parents don't want anything to do with this uh, documentary because mm-hmm. they don't want their the death of their son to be pop culture. Yes. So that's I mean, as besides being a plot tool for me, so Sydney can't go get all the information from the parents. Um, there's truth to that because there that's is. the same thing that happened in Serial. Exactly. So this book is 310 pages, and I maybe I asked you this on the first podcast that we did with you. Um, but I don't remember if I did and or what the answer was. How do you, how do you, how, how does the creative process happen for you? Like, I have the end result in my hand right here. When you're first starting out, are you just like basically writing bullet points and then you fill it in with paragraphs and then the paragraphs turn into chapter? Like, how does it work? It's similar. I mean, I'm I'm out, I'm in the middle of a deadline for my book for next year. So I, if I had a better answer, I'd tell myself mm-hmm. to do it because I'm struggling a little bit to get through the next one. But yeah, I mean, I come up with an outline, come up with an idea. So I would say the genesis for this was I was so into true crime mm-hmm. that I thought, well, maybe the protagonist will be a filmmaker mm-hmm. and she'll be someone creating a documentary. So that's sort of the idea of that's how it started. And then, yeah, you create, you know, where should it be? Who who got killed? What sh- what are some of the obstacles? So you come up with an outline and then you come up with, at least I do, come up with a little bit of a chapter outline where you think the book's going to go. And then you just got to start writing it. Um, I think my biggest issue and I'm trying to convince myself of is that when you get stuck writing it, it's because um, like I'll know what's going to happen later, but I don't know what's going to happen next. Mm. And if I get stuck on trying to write what happens next, 
it just will never get to the part later because mm-hmm. it's just it's too you're trying to find the perfect transition. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just start writing and writing and writing. I mean, you got to get about a hundred thousand words, um, and then you go back and then you fill in all the blanks mm-hmm. of the transitions. And uh, someone told me once that, or I read once that for a writer, the first draft is you telling yourself the story. Mm-hmm. So when you do that and you go back then you know the characters better. You know where they're going better. You know the story better. So you can quickly delete all the stuff that you don't need and where you're kind of random, ran, uh, kind of randomly writing to figure out where the story goes. Yeah. Sometimes it goes off on a tangent that doesn't work. Um, so yeah, bullet points to paragraphs to chapters. Um, I just saw this thing. They have these things online, these master classes now of like the best of the best yeah. teaching people how to do things. And they have Judy Bloom right now teaching people how to write. Oh, Sorry. what's that, Toddy? Oh, that's like a Facebook thing. Um, and one of the things she said, because of course I'm like, you know, how does Judy Bloom, you know, my daughters are still reading Judy right. Bloom, you know? And one of the things she says is her main characters, again, very different book, you know. Just a little bit. Well, you know what? Honestly, I think she's written some adult novels too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know that she's written true crime, but um, but she talks about how she'll have her le- her um, you know protagonist or her main characters. She'll write letters that they've written, and then she'll read them back oh, to I think herself. I read that. Did yeah. you read that? Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because I don't. Again, I don't write fiction, but. I really do believe in some, and I when I write, I use my computer, but sometimes when you write a letter with your hand, it's interesting what comes out. And it's interesting to read it back to yourself. And so if you have a character and you're like, I want to fully develop this character, sometimes just being like, and this is the way I think about it, and this is the way I look at it, and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe those details in that letter help with, you know, bridging. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm sure it does. I, I mean, my initial thought is I wish I had the time to write right. a letter from my <laughs> main character to herself. Yeah. In your free time, Charlie. Um, but uh, a diff- something, I mean, a similar thing is I have a, I'll have like a page handwritten where any little detail I can think of of the character, I'll write that on the page so that I'm, I'm making sure that that character develops uh, from her appearance to the, her personality to some quirks. I mean, I, I'm writing them down all the time so that I can always go back to that page, especially during the second draft and say, this is a cool aspect of her personality that I want to draw out and make the reader know. Um, so similar, just not, you know, not to the extreme of writing a letter. The One of the people, you know, you drew everybody beautifully, but Grace, um, I, I think I can do it because this yeah, is only... you can name middle. the characters. Oh, well, I just mean, I don't know how far I want to go with this, but when she she is in prison and you describe the difference between her oh, at yeah. 26 mm-hmm. and the way she looks now much closer to 40. And I, the vision I got in my head and, you know, I can, I kind of wanted to ask you who you picture in your mind when you're doing these characters, but was, um, Charlize Theron's, uh, when she's monster. Yes. That, and not that grace is necessarily being portrayed as a monster, but just how a a beautiful woman An environment will impact exactly physical features can really change what a person appears like. She, you know, she can't get her hair colored and she cuts it all off because why bother? And you know, she's got, you know, you describe the bags under her eyes because she's exhausted you said there was a great line like she hadn't gotten a peaceful night's sleep in however many years oh, we could say it because on the back cover grace has spent the last 10 yeah. years in a saint lucia's prison saint lucian prison so yeah so she gets like i mean in the first the early part of the book with the, uh, before chapter i mean in, it's not a prologue but in the first sort of section of the book she's accused of of murder and uh the book picks up with the filmmaker sydney 
uh, flying to St. Lucia to look into this crime and meet with Grace, who's petitioned her for years and years and years, because the book picks up 10 years after the murder. And Grace has petitioned uh, the filmmaker, Sidney, for years to look into her case and find new evidence. And uh, finally, it, the book takes place in 2017. The murder took place in 20, 2007. Mm. So finally, in 2017, the filmmaker flies to St. Lucia and starts the interview process and the uh, and her what turns out to be an investigation and what happens. So yeah, I mean, she went from a beautiful, uh, appearing, vibrant, uh, sort of high achieving fourth year medical student, Grace did, to being uh, a convicted murderer and spending 10 years in a foreign prison. Mm. And uh, yeah, so her appearance changes mm -hmm. and she's never, she hasn't seen the sun in yes, the however sun. many years or her, her uh, skin is pale. So um, see, I, you, Kathy skims, but she somehow picks, she up, picks up on some stuff. Well, in the, because I, one of the most interesting things to me, because it, now, this is, probably going to surprise you because your books have great twists and everything. But I actually, the true crime that I love is when I already know the answer. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I watched the Menendez brothers again, oh, I see what you're the saying. reason I watched the OJ trial again, and I mean the, um, the fiction, not yeah. the fictionalized, but the, what do you call it? They, it's not even a documentary. They have actors playing the roles. Yeah. Yes. What, what it's like a called? new genre, isn't it? Like they did. Well, the, Ryan Murphy, like this is kind of, yeah, like a recreation of what happened. So I already know what happened. Yeah. What I love is the the like the sociology of it or the psychology of it, like how the people are interacting and what happened. Because when I'm reading about it in real time, because I was obviously alive for all these stories that are now becoming so pop culture-y again, is I'm wondering to myself, kind of like I am in our current environment with all these things that are changing, like what are people really doing? Like how is this person really, really responding to this? You know, what? how did this meeting really go? And so when you get to see, and again, who knows if it's really, right. I mean, you know, I, Todd would look at me and say, like, Todd still gets mad about the movie, The Perfect Storm. Oh, so frustrating. Because at, it's a true story, but at the end, everybody, sorry, yeah, I'm ruining so, the Spoiler alert storm. for The Perfect Storm, <laughs> but the end, everybody dies and half the movie is about how these guys were surviving on this boat. How does anybody know that any of this happened? It's fiction. <laughs> so it's we get not. through the movie and I was like, oh my gosh. And Todd's like, all made up. Yeah. Not buying it. <laughs> because there's no, there's witnesses. no documentation. Yeah. How do you as, a, as opposed to like off the topic a little bit Apollo yeah. thirteen where right. it's yes. like you know what's going to happen yeah yes yet you're still waiting at the end like is, are they going to appear through the clouds yes. but most of that book of that movie is about what happened you know the beginning you know the end what happened in between what they're thinking mm -hmm. how did they get through it how did they cope so and that's so Charlie my heart can handle that because I don't like. To not know. It's painful for my body. She it's, leaves at the end of the fourth quarter, the bottom of the ninth. Ugh. It's painful. She she bails. She missed uh, Gibson's the, home run. The best part. <laughs> you know what? Well, Gibson's home run, I was, I'm embarrassed to say, but I was intoxicated with you. And well, we were 27 years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In 1988. Are you really embarrassed about that? <laughs> that was one of the most special evenings of baseball ever, and I was kind of mad that I didn't fully appreciate Can it. Can you tell me what it was again? Because I don't understand. Kirk Gibson hit a home run. He cobbled off the bench. He did not play that day, and Tommy Lasorda brought him in to pinch hit. They were down by a run or two in the bottom of the ninth in L.A. for game bad one. Bad legs, bad hamstrings. Against a very tough 
um, Oakland A's team, which had Jose Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Carney Lansford, Ricky Henderson. I mean, it was insane. The Dodgers were not supposed to win this series. Kathy is riveted right now. <laughs> I'm looking around the room. I'm and like, oh. they and, and Dennis Eckersley's latest pitch. And Dennis oh, I know Eckersley. that person. He was a Cub. And wasn't yeah, he? Later, yeah. He was a Cub. <laughs> and then uh, Kirk went out. He didn't even swing that hard. Oh. He just kind of went out, and it was an outside pitch. And he couldn't even, he couldn't run at all. He kind of hobbled to the batter's box and he hobbled around the bases. And it's one of the most famous calls by Vin Scully that you'll ever want to hear. And it's like iconic. He's doing his fist pump around second base. You've had to have seen this. I probably have. And most of those players you mentioned, not the Gibson guy, but the other ones I (laughs) did know. The Gibson guy. (laughs) That one guy. But yeah, we were in a hotel room during prom or... Yes. Was it prom? No, it wasn't. We were, were, we were, yeah, we were 27. <laughs> you guys went to prom at 27. <laughs> um, yes, but we were in a hotel. I don't remember being intoxicated, but maybe. Uh, mm. I, yes, I, I think. Maybe we I was a teetotaler when I was 16. Yes. <laughs> of course, Charlie. Sense. Of course. That's um, where all your creativity Here we go. Oh, here it is. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. Fly ball into right field. She is gone. And yes, he's doing I've the fist that. pumps. Yes, you've I've seen it seen on a million that. different commercials. A million. What's great about Vince Scully is listen, he's, he's not saying quiet. anything. Yeah, doesn't need to. And I was rooting for the A's. I used to root for whoever was in the White Sox division for some reason. Anyways, it doesn't matter. So I'm sorry. I'm doing a lot of talking. No, do, do you have keep something? going, okay. So I, I have two questions. One is what's your favorite true crime story or what do you watch consistently? We'll, we'll just start with that and then I'll go to my next thing. Well, I mean, probably serials my f- because that's what got me into true crime. It's the first, oh, not the first. I mean, I've seen plenty of datelines in 48 hours, but. I remember the craze of cereal. Mm-hmm. Someone at work told me, you got to go, you got to listen to this podcast. Um, and totally riveted by the podcast. I, I remember I would have my headphones on when I'm barbecuing dinner for my family. And I would just sit out on the deck. <laughs> totally. Amy would be like, where's the burgers? I'd be like, oh, sorry, I'm going to come in. Um, so it was like the equivalent of being into a really, really good novel. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop listening to it. That that would be one that I loved, um, but again, see what you love about it, which is the psychology of yeah. what's going on during it. I'm interested in, but the lure of serial mm. still. I I mean, again, I just jumped into it, so I didn't really know what what it was about. But the lure was, we're going to investigate this crime, and by the end of this ten part documentary. We're going to have an answer for you, which was why I could not stop listening to mm. it. And the girl that told me about this podcast, I remember I was like, I had like three episodes to go. And I was like, how are they going to figure this out in three episodes? And I went and asked the girl who suggested, I go, please tell me they have There's an resolution, right? Something at yeah. the end. And all she said was, oh, just keep listening. So immediately I knew they're not going to come up with an answer to this. And although I loved, I loved it. I was thinking, what, what was the purpose of it? There I was, I mean, it was pure entertainment. 
but no answers yeah. at all. They gave, they provided no. It's like they end in a tie. Yeah, they had no new information. Some new information, but didn't lead anywhere. Didn't lead to was he guilty? Was he innocent? And so that was a total disappointment. Which was gets back to the book. As I got more into these uh, documentaries, they all have a similar ending. Besides maybe the Jinx. I don't know if you've seen what the a, Jinx. What about mm-hmm. Dirty John? That's got an ending. That's got an ending of a resolution. It sure does. does. That's Whoa, got that a res- one. But there was never like a question in that, like, was he guilty or innocent? We um, knew the we knew we the knew he end. was guilty. Yeah, yeah. It was but just I like, didn't know how just, it was going to end. No, that was a great ending. That the was Jinx a great was a great ending, ending specifically because the filmmaker actually, spoiler alert, like yes. actually investigated the crime, found new evidence, and got the guy to kind of admit that he did it. Crazy. But besides... Without the, the guy knowing he without, was admitting yeah, it on it air. Like yeah, crazy. So, but most of them that you watch, Making a Murder is another one. Mm-hmm. You watch the whole... You're invested in the all, you know, eight, ten episodes, whatever it is. And at the end, there's more answers and questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, I mean, there's more questions than answers. You didn't really get to the bottom of, of anything. Which, when I started writing the book, I thought... Well, I'm making the story up, so I can I can provide as much closure as I want at the end, yeah. um, which I hope we did. I was going to say, which for a reader or a listener feels good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We yeah, like satisfaction. That. Like, there is. Um, what well, it's interesting making a murder. I I can't remember two years ago when that came out. Um, I used that instead of a textbook in my college class to and teach we, what to teach socioeconomic you know, issues, right. um, to teach the, about the judicial system, to teach about pop culture, wow. to teach about how we perceive people like the, you know, our education. Um, it was so rich. And again, like, that's what I love is I didn't watch that show and think, you know, did he do it? Or cause I was pretty sure Brendan didn't do anything. <laughs> that poor kid. Brendan still in, no, he got out. Didn't he get out? I don't know. I think he got another trial. And that's a whole, uh, when I watched that, I knew nothing about coerced confessions and right. how common that is. And again, I don't know if it's, if that's what happened. I'm just saying right. that's the suggestion that he well, just admitted to something so he could get out of that get room. Out, and then he goes, can I still go to WrestleMania yeah. tonight? Yeah. I mean, he had no idea what, what he, he was had just saying. done. Yeah. And, and that had a lot to do with, again, his, you know, education, his, uh, what he had been born with. I think that, I don't know what his diagnosis was, but there was something thing that right. he was struggling with you cognitively. Know, cognitively thank you for that word um so you know i just you can find so much it's the reason it becomes so pop culture for sure so i and this uh, this um article i wrote not to harp on it but we i get there was so much on the internet about why yeah. people love uh, true crime and into the psychology of it which i didn't think i was versed to talk about so instead i i i thought of all the all the stuff we watch and that I watched to write the book and I came up with what made the documentary so alluring to us mm-hmm. so you know first of all it was an interesting a grisly crime sadly right. that's you know it was that's what um it's a hook um and then the question of guilt or innocence is is huge like did this guy or girl really do it um yeah it's like a mystery yeah mystery uh and then the person accused has to be of interest, has to be kind of a unique yeah. personality. Think of Stephen Avery and yes. Sad. you know, super smart, articulate guy. You're hearing him through the static of a phone call and you're thinking, could he really have done this? So it's an interesting character. And then 
back to the point of, of making a murderer, it has to be unique storytelling. Unique storytelling with making a murderer, they filmed that over 10 years. Yes. Yeah. It's like fascinating that they took so long to to create this documentary. Just knowing those things, I mean, most people wanted to tune in and then word of mouth spread like crazy and it became this massive Like uh, Michelle McNamara's book right now, The Golden State, uh, Pat Oswald's yes. wife who mm. passed away before her book came out. Right. Um, did I haven't read it yet. Manisha gave it to me because she read it, but she said to me, don't read it before bed. So as I'm telling you, <laughs> even though I love true crime, I, I you know, I, I read Charlie's book at night and then you dream about these characters and they're not, it's not all great. They're not, it's not to, a great part of human. To that end, um, your research is quite striking. Um, yes. There's a lot of dead people in your movie, in your movies. Maybe you'll get, maybe you'll have a movie. I think this, I mean, all your books should be movies, but this one, I could see it. Couldn't you just see it? And the autopsy. How about like an eight part HBO series? Yeah. Yeah, Perfect. Perfect. You're like, (laughs) yes, I'll take it. The uh, autopsy lady, Livia, what's, what is her? Livia Cuddy. Yeah. What is, what is, what is her title? She's She's a forensic pathologist. Thank you. You A, A medical examiner. It seems like you are somebody who does this for a living. You didn't know anything about forensic blah, blah, blah. How do you get to be so knowledgeable? In, and the only way to know what I'm talking about is to read his books. But I'm just like, how does he know this stuff? So by the way, if someone just tuned into the podcast, the book, remember, is a novel. It's all, it's a fiction, fictional yes. story. It's all made up. It's just based on like the love of true crime. I think that's what's fun about being a writer is I, you know, you take any profession and you cherry pick the most intriguing aspects of it. Mm-hmm. I bet if you went and talked to a medical examiner, you know, which I did for the second book, um, their jobs are not terribly exciting. Right. You know, there's a small aspect of their job that you can um, sensationalize to make it exciting. But yeah, I mean, you read, I read a bunch of books on forensic pathology and how you become uh, from medical school to a pathology resident to uh, a fellow in forensic pathology, you read that, you take out the most uh, interesting aspects of it, and then you create a character about it. Um, I mean, I think that's what's fun about being a writer. Last time I did this, I was into the main character was a forensic pathologist. The time before that, she was uh, an investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. This time, she's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's always something different. It's new. You learn new things about it. It keeps you interesting as a as a writer, it's always something different. So there's a, a plot point that I'm not going to give away with this, but I'm going to try my best to ask this question. So there's this part kind of in the middle of the book where they're trying to demonstrate something with cadavers. And I thought, I thought where you might go is that, that people watching it would get pissed that they were doing that because these were yeah. hu- human beings being you. Cause there was a point when Livia is like, Oh, we'll do it on the next one too. Right. And I'll show you how that. And again, for those of you who haven't read the book, you don't know what I'm talking about, but they do use cadavers to demonstrate how somebody could have been hurt or, right. or killed. And I kept thinking, Oh my God, people, cause I, you know, and again, because I think about how people are going to react to things like what's the, you know, what's the psychology here. And I thought people who are watching this again, this is fictional, but this Netflix show or this is, was it Netflix? Yes. Was, no, I don't. It, yeah. It was no, a it was, name. It was like a television network. Television yeah. network. Yes. Oh, that's right. Cause that other guy had yeah. his show before hers. Um, Barrington. Yes, Luke, oh, yeah, Luke. The bear. The bear. Um, so anyway, she, I thought people, they'd get like, there was probably no time for it in the book, but couldn't you just hear people being right. pissed? Like, don't oh, yeah. treat cadavers that right. way. Um, 
Did they really do stuff like that? To Hashtag outrage. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could totally see it. But yeah, I mean, it didn't, it wouldn't lend to the... No, it didn't but, lend but to the, the story. <laughs> detour. <laughs> but, but actually, in the book, the opposite happens, which is... Right. So the, the forensic pathologist has... They're filming for this television documentary, and she demonstrates um, how um, someone could be wounded uh, how someone could be attacked and be wounded, and she demonstrates this on a cadaver. Yeah. So I think that gives enough uh, description without giving anything away. Right. And then, just typical to what we're talking about, pop culture, that scene, that part of the documentary gets downloaded to right. YouTube, and like 20 million people view it like within two weeks mm -hmm. as a way to show how popular the mm -hmm. documentary is. Totally. Which is actually probably more common than someone being outraged by it. It's like, True. it's going to go on YouTube. You're going to get all these hits and all these views. And then someone's going to go, what is that? Oh, I got to go tune into that show. So I'm right. sure... I'm sure that in the fictional book, the the cadavers were not treated I think the properly. Exactly. In the voices that you are recognizing, it is the majority of voices are like, oh my gosh, this is cool, or look at what they're doing. The world I live in of psychology and like, you know, therapy and everything, the people I work with would be so, you know, so okay. overwhelmed and, by this. And again, because it's a novel, right. I made up the story. Probably the forensic pathologist <laughs> would be objection, yeah. objection, objecting to doing this. Right. Um, however... There was a there was a show. Uh, one of the documentaries I watched was on John Benet Ramsey. Yes, I watch that too. And, and so, do you remember they had a they had the sin bone, which is a fake skull with pig skin over it. That's you and you describe yeah. that in the book. And yeah. they demonstrated how she might have been attacked, and they used so I in you know, I I, I, I sensationalized it by making it a cadaver. Yeah. But in this real documentary that they did, they used like a false. Uh, like a model of a skull yeah. to to demonstrate how a flashlight, what type of damage a flashlight would do to a child's skull. Mm. Wow. Um, in your second book, uh, I remember the second book is the darkest of the three. Would you agree with that? For sure. Yeah. And there, some of it has to do with abductions, right? Yep. And when I was reading this book, I texted you and I'm like, dude, I don't even know if you're my friend anymore because <laughs> this came from your brain and it's just kind of not truly scared me, but I'm like, how do you possibly imagine this in your brain and then put it onto a computer? And you're like, actually, this happens. Like there's a club yeah. that happens in the second book. There, These kids kind of play this weird, demented game. And I thought it's something that came from your brain when in fact you found out either before or after that this game happens. It actually exists, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody. It does, because you and I talked about it this morning. Yeah. So so I actually, it, within the question that he's asking, something that's kind of bothered me um, as of late is, you know, the Slender Man story? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So, Todd, do you know the Slender Man story? Is that the game? It's kind of like, it, it's... It was a website, if I remember correctly, and it was a story that some people decided to kind of, kind of like we did with the Blair Witch, I'm totally aging myself, but where we, we started to make it real. Even right. though it was totally fake. Correct. Right. And especially teenagers, right? And then there was some, there was actually a murder or some murders around the Slenderman case, and it was two girls, I think. My point is, is that now there's a movie coming out about Slender Man, and I saw it at our at York Theater. Like I saw the, and I was like, oh my god, like let's put this to rest. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know? like the worst parts of society are being yes. glamorized. Yeah. And that's, but really... Well, what that happens are, every day on the news, but go ahead. It does. And I think sometimes, and again, Slenderman kind of made me, because here I'm sitting here telling you, I've seen all these true crime shows. I'm a part of it. You're writing about it. Like, we're engaged in it. Um, but there's some things that I'm just kind of like, okay, let's put that away. But I think we, there's, maybe when you're writing this too, maybe this is a question Todd's asking, but we find ourselves in it. Like, how does somebody get so dark? You know, like, how did, did you like, I'm totally going deep psychology, but did you like discover things about people when you were writing this? Like, how did these characters get so dark? I, I mean, I'm going to take a little bit of a cop out and saying, sure. I mean, I made the story up. <laughs> right. I know, but do I remember, not exist. I, I know. Re- I remember Letterman was interviewing Stephen King and Letterman said something like, do you get scared when you're writing? And he's like, sometimes I have to stop because I get so scared. And Letterman's like, How's that possible? He's yeah, like, it's your brain. It's your brain. And, you know, when you get into the car in a dark garage and you think somebody's in the back seat, that's just your brain making stuff up. So I guess my question is, do you, get do you sometimes get scared about what you are creating? Because Stephen King does. So if you want to be like Stephen King, your answer should be should be yes. I'm very worried that all of ZPR audience is like, well, I'm not touching these books. No, no, no. These, <laughs> no, these no, are I'm awesome. Yes. The, the, uh, no, I, and I don't, again, I'm like Letterman. I don't, I can't scare myself with yeah. my characters. I can, and mostly because I'm trying to find a way to either engage or scare or mostly hold a reader in suspense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I can get some of that sense from writing it. But again, for me to say that I, that I um, scare myself, or even for Stephen King, that would mean what I'm writing the very first time is perfect, and it's the exact same story. I mean, that never happens for me. I'm writing, like I'm saying, I'm writing a piece of the beginning, a piece of the end that I know is going to happen later, something in the middle. And about the fifth or sixth time through the book, I see the whole story taking off mm. and how the pieces come together. So so perhaps I could be scared by reading someone else's book, yeah. which... Um, happened to me when I was reading um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm. I remember, you know, there's the basement scene where... Todd loves that yeah. scene. Kathy uh, doesn't think that movie's scary, by the way. The Well, the book was scary. I didn't read I'll the book. I'll tell you that much. So when I, <laughs> when I went down into my basement to change the water softener salt, mm-hmm. I, I, I got like a 10-year-old kid yeah. next yeah. to me, and I'm like, my son, and I'm like thinking... Okay, calm yourself down. <laughs> I was in the middle of reading this book. Be the dad. My mind is going nuts. So, uh, so yes, I could I could be scared from a book. I can't be scared from writing a book because yes. I don't write it in the same fashion. Well, and just to go back about read, yeah. how you know I was saying about darkness. What I will say is, all your books there are there's a warmth too. Do you know what I mean? For there sure. is people are redeemed, mm. and there is a goodness in certain characters that you you know you wish you could see more, you know, people who want to help people who are willing to engage. So as much as there's dark, I, you know, when I closed this book, there was a lot of hope, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And this book's not, you'll, uh, you haven't read the second one, but the, mm-hmm. this book is, um, and similar to Summit Lake, which is, it's like on a high note, there's, yeah. uh, hope in the future. Um, Girl who's taken as a little darker mm. ending. It's more of a of a not a cliffhanger, but like an oh my god uh, ending. And so um, 
yeah, if you're only just writing a completely dark story that has no uplifting ending, uh, you know, I don't know that I'd want to read that, let alone write it. So, Um, real quick about the process, because, you know, I think of anybody that does anything creative for a living, uh, whether it be a musician or an artist or a writer. Do you, uh, whatever, does the publishing company or whoever, do you have to report to anybody? I mean, I know you get final say, but are people trying to influence you on how to write the story? No. I mean... So like, what about notes and everything? Like they yeah, say, I mean, change this or don't do that. So, so that comes later when I'm done writing and I'm working with my editor. Uh, he'll make some suggestions. But um, the funny thing about writing and and having some level of success is you think you'd be filled with more confidence but really for me anyways it's like oh your next book is is already it's due in June 19 that's when I'll hit that's when I'll hit bookstores so you just got to get it to me by by August 18th uh, of this year and we're um, this is the promotional stuff we're doing for it and I'm thinking <laughs> I sure hope I can finish this book right. and come up with something that's worthy. I mean, so they just, you know, my publisher just assumes I'm I'm on it and I'm going to deliver it to them uh, because I've delivered three other others mm. and they this is good. He's on it. Um, they don't bother me. I mean, my my editor's there whenever I need him, um, but not until I turn in the final draft um, or what I would call the first draft. To my editor, do we start going back and forth on ideas? Um, so they trust you. They're like, just go do your thing, Charlie. Just do it. Give it to me. Then we'll then we'll look at it and break it down. And I think that's how most writers work. If you need help on every step of the way, I don't. You're probably not. You know, you're probably not. So have you ever made changes that you didn't want to make because somebody no. said it's a good idea? No. Okay. Um, th- no. The, you know, the biggest change for Summit Lake came with the title. I, my old title was The Stilt House, and I really mm-hmm. loved that title. Um, so we had a little back and forth, but ultimately I totally agreed on the title. Mm-hmm. But my, my editor and I were um, sort of a little bit uh, back and forth. He really liked Summit Lake, mm-hmm. and so because he – and he made a great argument for it, and I totally agreed with it. Just in the back of my head, I'm always thinking The Stilt House was always kind of like my baby, and mm-hmm. I, I love that title. Um, no, the, the suggestions that I get from my editor and from all the, the editor, the cop, the production editor, the copy editor, they all work to make the book better. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we talked about Summit Lake on the podcast, I'll just assume a lot of people read it. But one thing that my editor did that made the Summit Lake so much better was at the climactic scene where the, uh, where Becca Okay, Beck is the girl that dies at the very beginning, but you go back and you see her story. The whole point of the book culminates into her walking to the door in her stilt house where you know at the beginning of the book she's killed, and she pulls the curtain to the side to reveal who's on the other side of the door. And that whole scene, I had written essentially that whole scene in one chapter. And my editor said, you know, you could... There's so much suspense in this chapter. You should draw it out and go because it's like a parallel storyline. It goes back and forth to the present and past. And and once I did it the way he suggested, which I took like a 15 page chapter and I broke it up into like three five page chapters, and and put in the other the current day story in between. It 
it built the suspense so dramatically that if I, he didn't give me that advice, the book would not be nearly as dramatic oh, wow. uh, of, a, of an ending uh, as it currently is. Which, if you talk to anybody who reads the book, that series of chapters is like I couldn't stop reading Intense. it. Yeah, it was not. just one page after the other, and it didn't exist that way at the beginning. Yeah, it was totally my editor's suggestion. That's where you videotaped me reading it. I was yeah. sitting on the floor of the airport, and Todd's <laughs> like, "I'm going to video, you know, you reading these chapters and you having this reaction to the end." And I noticed in um, this book, in "Don't Believe It," you mentioned Summit Lake. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Summit Lake, uh, the town of Summit yes, Lake. Yes, exactly. The book, but the town of Summit Lake shows up. We love Easter eggs. In, uh, you I know what I mean by that? I love like that. Just finding them? Yeah, just, you know, that you have them buried in there. and. I think people are really smart and that sometimes we don't in our writing or in TV shows or even in our discussions, we don't give people credit for recognizing things on their own. I think a lot of times we dumb things down so much that, you know, it's like, oh, we, we spoon feed things to people. And I think people are really smart and they catch things and they enjoy that. Yeah. You know, we don't have to be so, um, and so it was just, you just kind of threw it in there. Mm. And I was like, oh, look. But see, that's for, uh, again, Kathy mentioned that she read the book in one day. Uh-huh. Todd read it in like three weeks, probably. Give but or take, yeah. So in one day, you know, if you didn't catch that part of the book, you know, this little section of the book took place in Summit Lake, you would not miss anything no. about the book. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, but yeah, it's just a little nugget for people who recognized it. Um, no, Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing, a memoir, a memoir of the craft. And one of his big um, bits of advice is don't do the readers thinking for them. Yes. Which is so important because yeah. if you sit and write out, this is what they're thinking because this happened before and now they're going to do this. I mean, it, it's, it becomes a tedious read. It mm. does. You want the reader to be able to figure things out, not so abstract that they can't figure it out, but you want them to be able to do their own thinking. I just read yesterday. Did you guys, Todd didn't, did you see The Shape of Water? No. Okay, so it won Best Picture last year or this year or whatever. And I saw the movie and it was beautiful in many ways. Totally odd too. But I just read something about, did you realize this about the shape? I don't know if I want to ruin it for everybody. No, Should I don't ruin, ruin it? it for me because I want to see that. Okay, well then everyone listening is like, Duh. but <laughs> I, see the I, shape of water. I could. And, and so the, something you missed originally. Something that they said, uh, Guillermo del Toro, I think is the director. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. And he, that something that he was like, I didn't even tell you guys this. And that now people who have like really gone into that movie are like, duh, this is what the case, this is what it, so, cause people are like, what about this hole? What about this hole? What about this hole? And now people are like, oh, if you know this mm. plot point, then all those holes don't exist. Do you know what's interesting is, um, Kathy and I love the movie Spotlight. Have you seen Spotlight? <sighs> Such a good movie. Uh, it's about. Oh no, I have not. I oh, know. it's so good. Yeah. The um, the character. That one best picture too. Yes, right? it, did. it did. No. The character. Um, who's the guy that used to be married to Claire Danes? Guy that used to be married to Claire Danes. He played. He's 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 almost famous guy. Oh, Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup. Mm-hmm. Um, he is an attorney, and he could either help or hurt or hinder this investigation that this newspaper is going through. And he kind of um, hinders it. He kind of gets in the way because he tried to help out before. Or we think he or we is think. hindering it. But I remember hearing an interview with either Billy Crudup or the director. I did too. And they told us uh, a background of the character that they did not reveal in the book. Or and in the, the movie. Or in the movie. And, the, and the, the thing about his character was he was molested as a child. Mm-hmm. He was a victim. 
and you never could have figured that out. He just, the director said it to the to, to Billy, Billy Crudup saying, just so, he's like, I don't want to tell the audience Oh, this. so he was, he had that as his persona when he's doing the acting. Correct. Got it. And that, and just hearing that deepened my experience of the movie, mm-hmm. even though I never would did have you, had that experience. Did you know that before? Or you On a second viewing, you knew that? I didn't know. You can't know it without hearing the interview with Billy Crudup. Right, but I haven't seen the movie, so if I were to go watch the movie, I would go into it knowing that. Yes. yes. You're saying you knew it, not you're having that experience a- in retrospect. After the fact, yeah, I'm like, oh. So having these conversations, like, make me excited for you. Like, do you just have, like, like your writing process, do you, like, hear something and then go, oh, my gosh, I have to, not that you're going to yeah, include no, this. No, so but- this exact situation you're talking about, nothing to do with, you know, that's I think that has to do with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, sure. And the, and the molestation that's going on. But but you're saying this character had something that he didn't reveal that after the fact you're. So so this kind of happens in Don't Believe It in my book, right? Yes. I mean you're reading, and again this is going to be such a vague description, but the reader um, meets um, a character or specifically a scene uh, in the book, couple like a recurrent scene, and. Only at the end of the book do those scenes fully make sense. Yes. And it, that should come as a massive surprise to you, mm-hmm. which it, it should work. I mean, I've heard from people that it's working. Yes. Um, but if you were to go back and reread those, you'd have you'd have those scenes. You'd read them in a, from a totally different perspective, well, that's, which I think is like if you went back and watched Spotlight. Yeah, you, I you're have, thinking about it in retrospect. If you watched it real time again, you'd have so much different mindset with that character. And the easiest example of that is watching Sixth Sense for a yeah, second exactly. time. Right. Exactly. Well, Charlie, I read your first chapter again after I was to the middle of the book. Because the first chapter, you know, like any book, you oh, know so how did I. it's I kind of back. like having to wind up a yeah. wheel where you're reading and you don't know these people yet. So I'm reading it and I know what's happening. The first chapter is the, you know, it's the murder. The murder, yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of reading it. But then once I got to the middle, I'm like, I have to go back and reread mm-hmm. this first chapter. I did the chapter. same yeah. thing. And, you, and the fun, for a reader, you're going back looking for clues. I hope. Yes, right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly. Because right. you, because I, because we got a an early copy. Because we're so special, yes. Charlie. Thanks for making us <laughs> feel special. And Todd read it first, and you underlined things. Yeah. Why well, I, I write notes <laughs> that didn't give anything away, right, <laughs> Kathy? When she's reading it later, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this must be important. No, I. But that was one of my indicators. I was like, I'm going to go back and read it. that first chapter. <laughs> Todd um, like had all these pens. So, <laughs> so as. We we kind of close this out. Yes. Um, the one other thing I'll say about the brilliance of Charlie's writing, because they are suspenseful and they're awesome, and I assume this is deliberate, your chapters are usually extremely short. I love sure. that. And there's nothing more demoralizing to me as a slow reader than to see a 22-page chapter ahead of me. Me reading. too. I, and again, I if you're a fast reader, it's great. If you're a slow reader, yeah, to look at a 20-page chapter, I... Uh, it makes no sense because you're going to have to read it anyways. Yes. But psychologically, if you know there's three, four pages in front of you, right? Easy to tackle. Yes. I loved your. I loved the short chapters because I feel like when we're taking in a lot of information, which we are in your book, meaning I don't mean too much information. I mean like we're getting a lot of character development and you're getting a lot of plot points. You, I like being able to stop. And being like, okay, and then to it's like it's a mental stop. Mm-hmm. Even though I continue right. to read it, it's like, okay, got it. Mm-hmm. You know, next thing. Yeah, because I think you're not you're reading this for pleasure. You're not yes. reading it a textbook. So the the farther you go with each page, I mean, you're gonna 
it's spilling out of your mind exactly. farther you read. If you're reading a few at a time, it's I think your retention comprehension's better. Me too. So the name of the book is Don't Believe It. The name of your second book, Charlie, is The Girl Who Was Taken. Girl Who Was Taken. And the first book? Summit Lake. Also known as the Stilt House. The Stilt House. In, in his mind. Which is. I didn't know. <laughs> he has a different cover in his mind. Charlie, you are such a good writer. Oh my gosh. We are so, and again, I know this sounds, we're the same age and we're all friends, but we're so proud of you. Oh, like you're, nice. it's so great. And um, it's, we're just so, it, it's fun to share. Like, I'm going to bring this, if it's okay with you, Todd, I'm bringing this to my sister today. Sure. Um, and so, is that okay? Even though it's not out? Okay. Um, and so I love sharing it and, you know, knowing you, and we knew you way before this, but it's just really, we're so impressed with you. Oh, well, that means a lot. Thank Good. you. Yeah. So Amazon, just go to Amazon. What else can, you know, because I know for a fact there's some listeners that, our, love your writing because of our first podcast with you. Like John Duffy yes. is way, he's like, what's the third book coming out? He's a good <laughs> friend of ours. Um, aside from buying the book and like telling friends to go buy it, uh, Amazon reviews are probably a really powerful way for you to get the word out, right? It's so important. Okay. So yeah, if anybody reads the book or had read the other books, if you could do an Amazon review, it's so huge because most readers go to Amazon to look for books. They don't always, I mean, I hope you buy it from an independent bookstore also or from Barnes and Nobles or the airport. It, it's available anywhere. But people go to find out if a book's for them. Usually they go to Amazon. Mm -hmm. So if you could do an Amazon review, forever grateful. And you know, for those of you who are listening, because we're saying Charlie Donnelly, his his last name is actually spelled D-O-N-L-E-A. Because before I saw your name written 25 years ago, it's you think it's Donnelly. That's how Stanfeld pronounced it. Donnelly. Yeah. Donnelly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I would like to say my name is pronounced just like Chelsea. Ch Chelsea. No one pronounces Chelsea, Chelsea or Chelsea. <laughs> Somehow Don Leah comes out a lot. I know, I'm sure. It's just like Chelsea, so Charlie Donnelly. Yeah. Um, once again, name of the book is Don't Believe It by Charlie Donnelly. Charlie, we'll have you back when you're done with your fourth or your fifth one. How many How many are you under contract for? Uh, four. So next year will be the end of my contract. Are you going to keep going after that, I assume? Of course, of course. You have to. So everybody, this is your summer reading. Pick it up. See, I am now going to go back to read The Girl Who Was Taken because we've talked about it. Now yeah, I have but to don't know. read it uh, before bed. For I'm sure, that to. one. I'm not going to. It's my summer reading. Um, book comes out May 29th. this Tuesday. Get a copy. Keep trucking. Be good. Thanks, Charlie. Whatever. Yes, thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate you. Remember, you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask Kathy and I questions live. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page. We have a book club and get discounts on everything that we have to offer. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. Guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? I have good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You choose. First session is free. And if you're in Chicagoland, contact me about the tribe. It's a men's group, and it's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. 
If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by going through the Amazon link under support us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you a thing, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Finally, I want to give special thanks to our two foundation partners, the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thank you for your love and support and keep on trucking. Thank you.